Hello, I'm Andrew Fuller. I'm a clinical psychologist and work with children, teenagers and their families, particularly in the areas of resilience, learning strengths and well-being. I'm also the chairperson of Generation Next. And in this series of podcasts, I'll be speaking with people who are experts in their area in terms of mental health and well-being. Thank you for joining us and thank you for being part of the Generation Next podcast group. Thank you. Today, I'm delighted in our series on well-being that works to speak to the Executive Officer of Adolescent Success, Angela White. Angela, basically in her work, which is uh, inspirational, uh, travels around helping schools to particularly deal with the ages of teenagers and especially those in the middle years of schooling. And so um, we'll talk a little bit about the, uh, the background and what adolescent success is and then uh, in her travels and her observations, what uh, Angela sees as working effectively in schools, because we know that 2020 really caused a need to rethink in ways our provision of practices in well-being, and then perhaps some of the things that don't work, and then a few takeaways, of course, for schools that they can think about in terms of implementing in their settings. So welcome, Angela. It's delightful to be with you. Thanks, Andrew. So good to be here and really appreciate you um, inviting me on to have a chat today. So can you just, for the listeners, give them a little bit of a background on adolescent success, please? Yeah, sure. We're, um, we were originally called the Middle Years of Schooling Association, and we were set up here in Queensland about uh, 1999. So been going for quite a long time. We are a teacher's professional association designed, uh, set up um, to cater for the needs specifically of young adolescents, so 10 to 15-year-olds, you know, year six, seven, eight, um, and nine in schools in Australia. And that age group here of 10 to sort of 16. Um, and we have had a name change. So we um, changed our name to Adolescent Success because that reflects more of um, the work that we're actually doing. But we are still a non-for-profit teachers association. So, you know, like the Geography Teachers Association, History Teachers, etc. We're the middle years um, teachers association. So teachers and schools join us and we provide them with resources, access to academics and research. And we try to collate and curate um, information that's pertinent to them around teaching and learning in the middle years. So our job really is supporting the teachers. So our listeners include a whole lot of different people doing lots of different jobs, but some of them, of course, are doing well-being coordination in school. So, but others, of course, are just parents of, of kids, or not just parents, but parents of kids who are basically going through things. So I'd just be interested in your observations, Angela, about 2020 and its aftermath and what you think some of the, the things I guess you've noticed are. Yeah, and uh, obviously there's a lot that's gone on that caught us all by surprise. And as we're doing the catch-up and now in a position of being able to reflect a little bit, um, although we're not out of the woods yet, uh, there's a lot that has happened, especially for uh, the students that are in the age group that we sort of care about. And, you know, it's coincided, you know, for, the, for students that attend to sort of 16, this has coincided with a very um, changeable uh, time in their life. It's, uh, you know, the, the adolescence, when the onset of adolescence, there's so much going on for them anyway. And then to have this, um, the impact of COVID coming in on top of that as well is, is a lot. 
and particularly uh, the new students coming into high school. So the year sevens that started in 2020, if I can speak specifically, they started school and were there for six weeks or not long before COVID hit. And then depending on which state they were in, there was home learning involved, you know, for quite a few months for some of them. And so then when they came back to school, the teachers were very much like, we've got to get all this stuff done now. The, the year's been cut short. We did some online learning and we're not sure how well that went. And now we've got to catch up on everything so that we can do the assessment for the end of the year and write reports and so on. And so I don't know how much of a, how much we've got to catch our breath in that moment and just say these students have come from a primary school setting predominantly where they've had one teacher the whole day and they've had their own space in their own classroom, have started high school which is an incredibly different environment on so many levels. They've had a very short time to try and find themselves there and then they were back at home and now they're back again. And it was almost, I spoke with um, some teachers about how they were actually going to start the year with the wellbeing um, programs that they put in place at the beginning of the year, start them again in April, May, March, June, whenever they came back to school because it was like they were different students again coming back and for some teachers they didn't really know them in the first place but then the impact of what has happened at home for them for the weeks that they were home learning they were coming back different people again and I think addressing that and I'm not sure how many schools had the time to do that or had the um, it's not that we didn't have we don't think about it but it's just that teachers were in the middle of a lot happening for them as well so whether they had the space to consider that who are these students coming back now um, and for some of them home learning may not have been ideal it may not have been safe it may not have been um, enjoyable it might not have been the best place to be and for those that even that it was an okay place to be it still could have been stressful because parents might have been worried about their job they could have been working from home too um, and so on. And so coming back to school, I think, um, in, in 2020, I think for schools, it's about, that I worry a little bit about those year sevens particularly, because they really are starting again, again. And um, whether we had the time to, to, to address that is an, an, a one that I, I think about. So I sort of, one of the lessons that I observe is that virtual communities, which are of course so loved by young people, and all of us really, to be honest, don't replace face-to-face -face communities really. And so there are a number of struggles that people had with virtual learning. And uh, you, I know you've observed a couple of those. What, what would you say are some of the things that they're uh, dealing with? Yeah, so I mean, for, the, for that age group, some of the things that um, I've heard, I hear about is this the stressor of actually being face to face with your teacher and your classmates on the screen so you know as as we were talking on zoom or facetime you are literally in the um you know that 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 place where you're actually right in front of each other and you know that can feel a little bit aggressive and a bit confrontational when you're literally squared off in front of each other. And you know, it's at school, and particularly with young adolescents, we talk about being the guide on the side, not the sage on the stage. We talk about being the guide on the side. And it's all about body language and the way you set your classroom up and so on. And it's not often that I would, as a middle years teacher, that I would be sitting directly opposite a student 
because um, that sort of feels like I'm, I'm telling them off or I'm, you know, really expecting something from them. And I think at their age group, that's off-putting. There's nowhere to hide. You can't, you know, they're self-conscious. And, and it's hard to find a comfortable position when you have got your camera turned on and you're directly in front of everybody. And so I wonder about that. You know, that's something they've, they've said they found stressing and they would rather turn their camera off. Now, you know, some teachers say that's okay, um, but others say, well, I can't see you. I don't know what you're doing. Are you listening? Are there other people there? What, you know, it, do I need to see you? And so that's a question. Do we need to see the students? Um, they talked, some of the, the kids I talked about, uh, talked to, they talked about, they said, I'd rather email. I would rather phone up and talk on audio than have to sit like that for a long period of time and with my teacher and I sort of think what it's until technology catches up and we can have avatars where we can all sit in a circle or we can all sit in different positions I don't know how to solve that but that is a thing for for young adolescents is the actual physical nature of sitting directly opposite someone and I, I wonder you know what do we do I don't know what to do about that but I think it's something it's a really interesting challenge because, of course, anyone with body image issues or anyone who's just a bit self-conscious or anyone who feels intimidated easily really finds this incredibly challenging. And yet it's likely that the future of worldwide business and interaction will be based on some virtual form of communication. Yeah. And so it's, uh, it's something we need to really think. I don't have a, an immediate answer either, but I think... Uh, whether sitting sideways towards the, the camera, I don't, I'm not quite sure, but we certainly do need to think about that. And it'd be really interesting if listeners have some ideas to share those uh, later in our, yeah. in our comment section, that'd be fantastic. So yeah. in terms of your traveling around, so, so of course, on top of that, you, you also have these stressed teachers. And uh, I, I think uh, it's fair to say that in 2020 and in the oh. early parts of 2021, teacher well-being has also taken a bit of a hit. Do you agree? Totally. I think teachers are hugely um, stressed by the fact of, of taking their learning online and what sounds like what should you know be a fairly simple thing to do. We've got the technology to do it. We've got Zoom. They're not actually trained for that. They're, you know, they're not trained to be able to deliver online and so to be thrown straight into it, um, is very, very stressful, and it's quite a different learning environment. One of the things, I've just spent some time in New Zealand, and one of the things that I don't know that we've considered in the online learning space either is the idea of, in New Zealand, if you're a visitor, and so in New Zealand, the school is um, the Tangata Whenua, it's the place to stand. So the students come there, and the teachers come there, and you're all part of that place. And when you have guests come in, they're called the Manahiri, they, they come in and you treat them as a guest. And I think when you're doing online learning, the teacher becomes the guest in the student's home rather than being at the place that the students come to. So I think there's a difference in etiquette involved in teachers acknowledging that you're actually entering a student's home. And there could be people in the background. Um, and is there an etiquette around, you know, acknowledging that at the very least, but definitely going about learning in a slightly different way. And that's that's something that I think is worth considering as well, is that as the teacher comes in, you are now in 24 or 30 
different homes um, of people? And is there an acknowledgement that needs to be done around that so that people feel comfortable with having you there as a guest? Um, and, you know, coming straight online and saying, right, you know, we've got to do this and this, and we've got, um, you know, we need to get this done before then and, and so on. I, I'm just not sure if our approach even needs to be reconsidered about we're entering people's homes and the, the students, while they're comfortable there, we are a guest. And what, how do we acknowledge that? Um, and that could go some way to making the students feel more comfortable as well, because it's almost like we've implanted the same structures and routines and expectations of school life into now coming into your home and having that same expectation. Um, and so that's something that has come up around the online learning. But in terms of teacher stress, yes, and I think the students now they're back at school with teachers, they see them stressed as well. They see their stress levels through the, through the roof. And, you know, what they're noticing that. Um, and so I think teacher wellbeing is hugely important because if we can have our teachers feeling better, then the students are going to notice that and um, that will help them as well. Yes, I guess a major part of well-being is seeing the adults around in your life and going, they've got this handled, so it's going to be okay. And I yeah. guess that's a slightly mixed message at the moment. Uh, in your travels, Angela, you've observed a whole lot of schools. I mean, there must be some particular examples of things that you think, yeah, that works really well in terms of well-being delivery. Any things that are shining examples that you think are worth sharing with our listeners? Yeah, I think the, um, the schools that do things really well in terms of well-being and pastoral care are schools where they sort of, they have a, a, a specific well-being program. So I am once again speaking about year seven, eight and nine um, as the middle years. So with year seven, particularly as they come into a new high school setting, having a well-being or a pastoral care program, which is separate, um, and as a program, so actual dedicated time. So where they might be, you know, whether it's one period a week or however long it is, they actually have a wellbeing lesson time where that is time to get to know the students more and they work with, with the same teacher. And so this idea with, with early, you know, junior secondary um, students having less teachers to get to know, so the schools that have really good wellbeing programs, their teachers might teach the same students for say English and social studies. And you suddenly cut down the number of relationships a student needs to make by half and life becomes less stressful for them because we know at that age group, good relationships mean I'm gonna learn. If I think my teacher, so the, te the student wants to know, does my teacher like me? Uh, and do they care about me? And if they, if they think that you like them, they will learn more. If they think you don't, then that's the beginning of disengagement. So I think schools that do things well have dedicated well-being time. You might not call it well-being, but time where you actually got to address and discuss um, issues with the students. And then also integrative. It's, it's an integrative across the whole school and in every subject area. So the idea of emotional intelligence is being taught in every subject. And, you know, by emotional intelligence, I mean um, having a vocab for um, emotions and um, naming those and, and each subject teacher being able to be on the same page with that, with a shared language, so that we're actually raising their emotional intelligence as much as we are their mental intelligence. 
and doing that across the school. Um, and then also, of course, being strengths-based. Um, we have to do that with young adolescents and the middle school is the perfect place to do that because um, it affirms for them that they do have strengths and it puts us in a better position to be able to work with them if, it's, if the program is strengths-based. Um, pro-social, if it's a program that's pro-social and actually encourages students to make connections with each other and also with the teacher. So um, creating moments where they can connect to each other, not just you know, leaving them alone to chat, but I mean actually have pedagogies in place which allow for um, students to connect with each other. As simple as the teacher having a discussion and allowing students to talk and then you know, the other students in the classroom are then connecting with them and, and thinking, you know, me too, thinking I, I've, I've experienced that. They might not even say it, um, but they're, they're thinking it. And with the teacher as well, the teacher sharing their own stories, um, sharing things about their life um, and so on, so that the, the students have an opportunity to connect. And I think that's really important. So the teaching in, in the middle years, um, teachers that do that really well, uh, their wellbeing programs um, are, are robust. And so, yeah, having separate time, having integrative across the, the school, having um, strengths-based, pro-social, and an element of um, building, purposely building emotional intelligence um, through, through giving them a literacy. And it is a literacy. It's the same as when um, Twitter and when Twitter first came out, we had a new literacy because you only had 40 characters. And so students were shortening words and we got text language and so on. And that actually is a literacy of which teachers at the time were illiterate until we caught up. And so we did catch up there. And I, I believe that there's an emotional literacy that I, I think um, even more so now than ever before, would be well served if we built that in schools and um, we, we, we gave the students the vocab um, and the skills to build their own emotional literacy. So early adolescence, of course, is a peak time of neuroplasticity and a time when identity formation is sort of starting. It's a time when academic self-efficacy is formed and a time, as you rightly say, Angela, that emotional kind of uh, intelligence and literacy are forged as well. So it's a, a critical time of being clever in terms of our interventions around these areas. I wonder, because of course 2020 was such a, a strange year and it caused a rethink really for all of us in terms of prioritisation, are there things that you think are now either obsolete or less important than they appeared to be prior to that time? That's a good question. That's right, it's not an easy question, but... It's um, not an easy question. So when you say, do you mean within the school curriculum? I'll give you an example, perhaps. Um, yeah. One yeah. of the thoughts that I have is that because of the advent of virtual education, the recipe that we have about 400 minutes a day to fill with certain people in certain classrooms doing certain things, which has been the recipe of schools for a long, long time, probably since Charles Dickens was a boy or something like that, is loosened. And so there's some great possibilities, I think, in terms of changing that structure, the, the tyranny of the timetable, if you like, and thinking about should we have a more hybrid model or not in terms of some 
virtual, some in you know face to face, some small group shoots, some intensive lessons, and I. I guess it's something that's worthy of probably of a whole discussion itself, but I just wondered whether you had any thoughts about that. You've no doubt seen some ideas around that as you've travelled. Yeah, I have. And, you know, as you said rightly, when you go online, you lose the 10 minutes it takes to walk from class to class and you lose, um, you know, the, the time walking to assembly and so on. And so you gain, when the virtual classroom, you then gain all this time that's not taken up by moving around school and so on. And so there is time gained in the day. But I think in those moments when you're walking, you're actually also talking to your friends, you're connecting with each other and so on. And I think that we need... So I'm not sure what we could lose without offending teachers in specific subject areas. Um, but the, the world is changing. And I think what we need more of is sitting in rooms with students face-to-face and facilitating discussion. You know, it's conversational. It's not even written necessarily, but it's conversational and it's about connecting. And there, there has to be some element of that. The hybrid model is, is one that could work because there's still skills that you need to learn in subject areas which can be done easily online. I sometimes but, sit with uh, students who have got sleep disturbance, uh, gaming addiction, some of them have got social phobia. And I sometimes wonder whether we really need a school that could be accessed 24 hours a day, um, not, not necessarily by teachers being delivering lessons at 3am, but basically those being accessible online pre-recorded rather than necessarily having this kind of structure of nine to you know 2.30 or three or whatever it is. What's your thoughts about that? 100% agree with you there. And I think the time, and New Zealand experienced this with the earthquakes, that you can start school earlier and finish earlier so the kids can surf in the afternoon. You can start it later and go until seven or eight o'clock at night so that people can sleep in in the mornings. They, schools had to do that in New Zealand because they were sharing premises, but and they found some fascinating um, that, that students don't dislike it. And I think that the idea of being stuck to the timetable is one that is, you know, really becoming antiquated, especially with online learning. And I 100% agree with you. And I think there should also be time when you say, okay, at this time we're going to be at school. And this is, you know, discussion time where you can see your friends and we can talk and, and so on. And it's that emotional intelligence um, program. And I always guarantee just about every kid will probably turn up to that um, because they want to see, they do still want an element of face-to-face mm. talking with, generally speaking, with their peers and their teacher. So certainly in some parts of Asia, they have a, almost a first shift school, a morning school, and then an afternoon school or early yeah. evening school. And that's, yeah, I mean, obviously the increases of staffing such a thing and making it fair for people is, is worth considering. But we do live on the cusp, I think, of some innovation around education and well-being that's worth contemplating rather than just a return to, well, what we thought was okay as normal previous to 2020, prior to 2020. Agree, and I think what that's what we've done initially now because we've been thrown into having to do things online. We've taken the old school model, thrown it into online almost, and gone, okay, we still need to do all of these, you know, things. And 
now that we've done that, we can now sort of sit back a little bit and go, well, actually, how much of that does need to be um, done? Can we offer it? Can we pre-record the lessons? A lot of schools do this already with the flipped model learning um, where the schoolwork is done at home, that the learning that you'd normally do at school is done at home by video recording, and then the time at school is more conversational. So you could do that. They could access that at any time during the day. But I just think that, that, that hybrid is preferable to all online because there is people are still saying that they want, and teachers as well, that they want some face-to-face elements as well. It's necessary. Angela, I want to thank you for the work you do. An organisation that run great conferences as well, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah we've be- become pretty well known for our conferences, which we used to hold down in the Gold Coast and Bris- more recently in the Brisbane Convention Centre. But I think the success of those conferences, Andrew, come from the fact that we're not subject specific and we're actually, the, the association is about adolescence and all that goes on in that area rather than um, about any specific age group or specific um, uh, subject. So it means that we have teachers from every subject area coming and talking about their experiences of working with with students in this age group. I know that sometimes, of course, being in the background of schools and trying to support them in terms of thinking about the needs of early adolescents and uh, and some of the quirky behaviours that adolescent behaviour can come up with, um, it can be a, a thankless task. So I want to just acknowledge and honour what you do because it's a, such an important role. It's a time of such great possibility for, in people's lives. And sometimes that opportunity is at risk of being missed by parents, by missed by the young people themselves, and also overlooked a bit by schools. And so what I, what I really admire about your work is that relentless kind of pushing for let's keep the kid at the very centre of what we're doing and think about what they what's going on for them and then base our practices around that. So thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you would like to follow up in further detail, please listen in to some of the other podcasts that we have made, which are available through the Generation Next website. There are also a series of books uh, from Generation Next in terms of nurturing young minds, uh, covering a series of issues to do with young people, and also in my own book, Tricky Behaviours and Your Best Life at Any Age, which are both available either on Amazon or through Bad Apple Press. Thank you so much, and I hope to connect with you again soon. Thank you. The Mental Health and Wellbeing of Young People seminar has gone digital. This is a resource for anyone who supports young people. The eLearning Hub has all your favourite speakers from the Generation Next events and much more. There are hours and hours of courses to choose from. We know life's busy, so we made sure you can pause the courses at any stage and continue where you left off the next time you log in. You can also automatically download your certificates of participation and record your notes and ideas with the documentation tool and editable course books. If you would like to try it out, head to generationnext.com.au and sign up yourself and your whole team for the next free course. And please, share the resource far and wide. Thank you for your support for Generation Next and all you do to support young people.